0: Hi, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. One man's view of the changing world and the changing economic times and the things that we can do to live a better life. You know, if times get tough or even if they don't. I'd like to thank everybody that I've gotten emails from about yesterday's podcast. And if you like yesterday's podcast, hopefully you're going to enjoy today's as well. And uh, that's because I'm going to do uh, or continue to talk about some of uh, what I call the modern lies. Of society and uh, how they impact decisions that people make every day, and the problem with a widely accepted lie, a widely accepted mistruth, often a, uh, a a truth or a lie disguised in the cloak of truth, is that people will make decisions based on incorrect information. And it's like if I give you a map that is wrong, you believe in the map because most maps are accurate and you'll end up in the wrong place. That's exactly what happens when people buy into some of these lies, And it's why America in many ways is off course. And uh, you know me, I'm not a big believer in uh, either of the two uh, political parties anymore, the the two mainstream parties. And I don't think Barack Obama's change is going to save us. I don't think John McCain's going to save us. I think it's going to be up to us to save ourselves and it's going to start at the individual level. And I'm realistic enough to know that I don't influence elections at my level, and that's not my job anyway. Most of my shows are actually about things like how do you store food, why you should do that, how do you preserve your wealth and the practical everyday things. But like I said yesterday toward the end of my podcast, at time to time I believe it's my responsibility uh, with this platform that I've created here uh, to talk to people about things that actually empower the spirit and empower the individual. Because you cannot separate those two things. So that's why I've been doing the, the, the Yesterday, I'm gonna do it again today. I'm gonna to go back to something more practical to finish the week off on Friday. So if you're looking for a practical, preparedness show, tune in Friday, and you'll get that. But today, you're gonna to get a little bit more of Jack Spirico being pissed off at the system and explaining to you, you know, why it's been perverted, how it's been perverted, and, and what you can do about it. And uh, if this is your first show. Rest assured, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not gonna talk about Illuminati here. Okay, I'm not gonna talk about backdoor rose. I'm not even gonna talk about Bilderbergers, and I even believe in. that. What I'm going to talk about is just the commonly accepted things that people believe to be true about our society and about America. That they go, they go to work and go and take care of their families every day with believing our truths that are not. Um, and I want to uh, to remind you guys that this uh, this whole tangent of mine started out uh, with the show yesterday It was kicked off by seeing a commercial. I said I thought it was from American Express. It's actually from Discover. A gentleman commented on the blog uh, on yesterday's show, which uh, you can go to the survivalpodcast.com and look up. Put in a link to the actual commercial. It happens to be on YouTube on Discover's channel. They're actually quite proud of this commercial. You can see in the comments over there that some of the people, that have watched the commercial, that have nothing to do with my show or my take on it, uh, have their own skepticisms and are a little bit sickened uh, by Discover Card's claim that it's a consumer-driven world. It's a consumer market. There's nothing wrong with that. We have people out buying useless, pointless crap every day that they cannot afford and going into debt to do it. And Discover's trying to come off as of somebody that wants to help you stay out of debt. Uh, so if you go to the SurvivalPodcast.com, and I'll link from this show too. Just to make sure you can find it, um, and take a look at that commercial, especially the first couple minutes of it or a couple seconds of it. I think you'll really understand why I got off in this direction. So again, to uh, and the gentleman that posted that link calls himself Dr. Gonzo, Dr. Gonzo. Uh, and he's a, a moderator over at the Zombie uh, Zombie Hunters Forum, and I'll give you I'll give them a link out of this show as well. Uh, that might be a forum if you're into survivalism and preparedness. You really want to uh, check out. Uh, I haven't. Posted there a great deal Uh, just because I'm limited on time. I've I've gone through though and and skimmed threads and all. It's given me some great ideas. That's a good group of guys over at the zombiehunters.org site, so uh, I do recommend you check them out. So, on to the topic of today's show. The first lie that I want to talk about today is that. The government is supposed to solve problems. That's the role of government in America, to solve the problems of the people. Now, that's another one of what I call a very seductive lie. I mean, if you walked up to just about any random American on the street today and said, do you believe that the role of government, it should be to solve the problems of the people, that you would get, well, of course, I mean, what other purpose is there for them? Well, let's examine that question, because that question will expose the lie. What purpose do we have for our government if it is not to solve our problems? Well, it's the constitutional purpose of our government. Our government was set up uh, and envisioned as something that had a system of checks and balances, three branches, and its purpose, defined constitutionally, was to provide for the common defense of the nation. In other words, to make sure that we were secure to provide for individual protection, to protect individual rights without compromising majority opinion. In other words, I should be able to do whatever I want as long as I don't prevent you from doing whatever you want, as long as what we both want to do isn't harming or killing somebody else. Oliver Wendell Holmes summed it up best when he said, quite simply, the right to swing my fist ends where the other man's nose begins. The government of the United States was empowered to uh, go into treaties with other nations for the purpose of commerce and trade and defense, not offense. Okay, the the United States was not put together with the intention of creating the empire that we have today. The six hundred billion dollars a year in military spending that we use to protect and preserve and promote our empire. Building. Okay? The United States government was simply designed and set up as a way that would allow for the protection of people who yearn for liberty to go about and conduct business on a day on a daily basis with each other and across the world. We were supposed to have commerce with all and alliances with none. That's directly from the mouths of the people that founded our nation. That's who we were supposed to be. So, if that's what our government is supposed to do... Nowhere in there did I say to go out and solve your problem for you. I mean, I want you to just, let's, let's just be realistic for a second. Let's just think, let's go back in time, 300, 400 years, when people first started to come from Europe and land in this continent, and what their motivation was as they did that, and back to 1776 when the colonists decided to cast off the yoke of oppression from England and become an independent, sovereign republic of states. Okay? What was the motivation? What was the goal? Do you really see Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, you know, Samuel Adams, uh, Ben Franklin, all of these guys, you know, getting together in a room one day and saying, you know what? I'll tell you what, if we threw these English guys out, got out of this taxation without representation thing, what we could do is we could put together a government that would take care of everybody. We could put together a government that if somebody was hungry, they would send them food. We would put together a government that if somebody was sick, we would give them free health care. We would put together a government, or if somebody didn't get off their dead ass and get a job, we would send them a welfare check. We could create a government that would see to the needs of every individual, no matter how lame or useless or weak they are. And we could take all of the efforts of the people that work the hardest, and we could take some portion of what they do, and we could give it to the other people who don't have the ability to work so hard. That would be great. That's worth dying for. I am ready to go to war for that ideal. Does that not sound like the biggest preposterous load of bullcrap you have ever heard in your life? I mean, at least it's not being taught that way in our schools yet. But don't think that we can't get to a point where it won't be that freaking sarcastic, but basically it's going to get slanted that way, because we already lied to our kids about the American Revolution and why we fought it. We, we, we say that we fought under this you know, banner of no taxation without representation. The colonists weren't pissed off that they were being taxed hard, and their money was being sent to England and they didn't have a representation in the government they are pissed off that they were being taxed period. They want a representation so they could eliminate the tax not feel more justified in its distribution so we've already been lying to our kids for at least 30 years about that right there. So don't mean we can't get to a floor where we start to say that, that, that our government wanted to be formed so that it could make people more comfortable alright? Now you know how these people were what these people were like. These people were pioneers, are the people that actually fought the battles, the infantrymen, the militia. Okay, They were farmers. They were hunters. They were trappers. They were pioneers. They didn't want a government to solve their freaking problems. They wanted the ability to be responsible for their own lives and not have somebody get in their face and not have somebody take away what they worked for and give to somebody else. They wanted out of the class structure that I talked about yesterday. They wanted complete autonomy as individuals. They wanted the right... To be poor or wealthy, but be in control of the results of the decisions that put them in either station in life. And they wanted poor to not always be poor. And let me tell you something else, folks. They also wanted wealthy to not always stay wealthy. And that was the real problem with the class structure that we were looking to get away from when we broke away and created this new world. Alright? It wasn't just that the poor had to stay poor. It was the ridiculous setup that allowed wealthy people to stay wealthy, no matter how screwed up, useless, or incompetent they were. We're getting back there today. I have two words for you. Paris Hilton. Alright? In the old world, if you were a wealthy family, your wealth was preserved. Right? You didn't fail. Your money wasn't lost unless you pissed off somebody who was more important than you and they seized it from you. That was the only way you went down a run. Right, nobility maintained control of the land. The individual could not own the land. I've said this before, but I'll say it again right now because it's part of the part of the answer to this problem. People did not come to America because they thought they would be more free in the context that we're told every day that they came here for. People came here to settle this nation in the 1800s from the end of the Revolution. Okay, All the way up until we were stupid enough to set up a Federal Reserve System in 1913 and a Federal Income Tax System. From that period of about 120 years, people came here for one main reason. They had the ability, when they came here, to own land. That's what brought people to America because that's where the real wealth was. If you think about somebody in the middle 1800s owning a piece of land, 40 acres, out in the middle of the boonies... That person wasn't looking for somebody to solve their problems. They were looking for the opportunity to create something for themselves. We have been lied to that the role of government is to solve our problems. And it's why we have the pointless, meaningless debates. And it's why we allow some of these politicians that have been in the Senate for 30 years to maintain their stranglehold on America. And it's why we've allowed government to become so bloated and spend so much money and tax us so hard. Because we believe that they're supposed to fix things. Folks, I think it's pretty obvious that most of the things they're trying to fix, they created in the first place. All right, But my point is, they're not there to solve our problems. And if we take that responsibility away from them, they can make do with a hell of a lot less of our money. And they can do a hell of a lot less harm if we hold them back to the constitutional responsibilities that they're supposed to have. Like I said, I have no uh, grandeur about influencing the common elections in November at all. But what I'm telling you is, you, if you take that and you're in individual heart. You start to believe it. You start to live your life that way. You will impact those around you. You will make a difference. And sooner or later, the spirit of revolution may come back to this nation, and we just might take it back. The second lie I want to talk about today is the lie that we're told every time a politician takes the stage. It talks about the vision of America. We're told this lie in our schools. We're told this lie on television. We're told this lie on radio by both right-wing and left-wing people. That lie is that America is the freest nation in the world. If you listen to my show yesterday, you might be like, Jack, you said America was the freest nation in the world yesterday. I did not. I said the ideal that is America is the the greatest bastion of freedom in the world. In other words, if we lived by the law of the land, if we lived by our constitution, if we actually followed it, we would have the freest nation in the world. And that is still our guiding principle, and all of the things that they do to become oppressive and control and stick their nose where it doesn't belong fly in the face of the constitution. And thanks to the constitution, that effect has been somewhat limited, and we generally have a fairly free market over here, at least in the small a mid-sized business sector as long as you don't want to get too big, right? Uh, if you don't have too big of a dream, then, you know, you're, you you got a pretty free market over here yet. But we are not the freest nation in the world. Let me explain in one very concrete reality way how that's not true. Well, you would definitely think that that Thailand as a nation is not freer than ours. I mean, Thailand is still a monarchy. Thailand has a king. And even though they have some form of elected government, the king kind of is like uh, their president with more power than our president has. And you'd look at that and say, well, these guys can't be as free as America how could they be? I mean, they're sitting right over there in this fashion of socialism, and, you know, how can they be more free than us in America? Well, I have a friend who goes to Thailand about every two years and visits one of his friends that repatriated there, moved to Thailand, and said, "The hell with with this complex Western society, I'm going to move kind of out in the sticks of Thailand as well. Um, He was a fairly wealthy guy, not really that wealthy by American standards, but extremely wealthy by Thai standards. And he went over there a while ago while the American dollar was still strong, and he was able to buy himself what amounts to basically a little coastal island. It's uh, several acres in size. I think it's like four or five acres, and uh, it's an island. But it's an island. You you really don't need a boat to get to. You can kind of get there with a walking over a couple footbridges, and uh, so it's got electricity to it and all. But it was kind of tangled with mangroves and all things like that. Well, he cleared off big pieces of it and put in what looks a lot like a golf course. If you were to go there, other than it's smaller and it's kind of laid out differently, and what it actually is is a disc golf course. It's kind of like frisbee golf, I think is what they call it, where you throw these different little discs. And I don't really know how this game works. I've never played it, but apparently it's pretty popular now. So he set that up over in Thailand, just outside of kind of a touristy area. And what he does is he has people come and play. Frisbee golf on his island. He's got little golf carts, a couple Thai guys that work for him that drive people around in little carts, full service, you know, nice little place. And you'd say, well, there's nothing there that I couldn't do in America yet. Here's the thing. On the back of these golf carts are coolers, and in those coolers are several varieties of beer and wine and wine coolers. But they're not free. They're not complimentary, okay? If you want one, you have to buy it. You're still going, Jack, you can buy beer all over America today. Well, this guy didn't get a permit to set up his island. He didn't get a license to sell beer. He just did it. And the Thai government looked at it and said it's his land. He can do whatever the hell he wants to. Wants to sell beer, we don't care. You do that today. Go buy yourself four or five acres, don't get a building permit, set up a Frisbee golf course, get yourself some electric golf carts, start driving people around and selling them beer out of a cooler. You will have the BATF show up at your house, put a gun to the back of your head, haul you off in front of your children, and take you to jail and prosecute you under federal law. Do not lie to us and tell us we're the freest nation in the world, where I can sell a guy a beer out of a cooler, and if the right person tells the right person and wants to make a point, somebody can come to my house and take me away at gunpoint for doing it. That is our nation today. That is where we live today. That is what we have allowed the bloated corpse of our government to become. The fact that we even have a bureau of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms is a problem in itself. What the hell does alcohol have to do with firearms? I I would like to know. I would really like to know. I'd like to know what tobacco has to do with alcohol, honestly, but I, I, I could make that leap. How the hell did firearms get lumped into this organization? How are we the freest organization in the world for selling somebody a beer will send you to a federal penitentiary? Okay, and I could come up with more and more examples of things that you can do in other parts of the world that no one would give a shit about. No one would care. And if you do them here, you'll go to jail for them. If you do them here, you're in trouble for them. Okay, I mean, they're already trying, they, you know, this thing has been stopped, but I was told about this, uh, I don't remember exactly where I heard about this, I think it was from the You Can Survive podcast, uh, it was where I heard about this, on his podcast about small livestock. That There was a law that went around that was basically requiring you, if you kept a few chickens in your backyard, you were going to have to register them. And it almost went through, and it would have basically shut down small-scale farm uh, uh, you know, livestock across the, the country and put it all into the hands of the big ones because only they could afford to go through this procedure. They you go to Thailand, there's people with chickens running around all over the place. Now, sure, it creates a, a risk of bird flu, right? But when they had that risk, they went in and said, hey, no uncertain terms, we'll kill your chickens. We're we'll going to get rid of them. We've got to protect the public health. But you don't have to register a freaking chicken. You don't have to register a freaking rabbit. This country, we almost got there. We we couldn't even get close to that. If they did that in Thailand, if the Thai king came out and said that, a couple million Thai people would raid the, the palace, pull this guy in the streets and tear him to shreds. They'd never get away with it. They almost got away with it here. Don't believe that we are the freest nation in the world. Our soldiers saw it in Vietnam. Our soldiers many of whom were African-Americans and still being treated like crap, went over to fight for this country. Some, Some of them volunteered, some of them drafted. And they went out in these jungles, these communist jungles, and they looked around and said, the communist jungle doesn't look any different than the democrat jungle. Okay? They saw people living in these villages that were freer than they were. Okay? And I'm not saying that we should live exactly the way people live in that part of the country. I don't live there. I live here. I want my nation back. I want my people to help me take my nation back. I want my Constitution to mean something again. I want a president that says the Constitution is just a goddamn piece of paper thrown out of office. All right. I was with Bush on 90% of what he was doing until I had my falling out with the Republican Party. But when I heard the man said that... Okay? That's when he was done for me. That's when a Republican party was done for me. Because when when he said that, his own party should have stepped up and said, Hey, 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 hey. No. But no, this is the nation we live in today. Don't believe that we're the freest nation in the world because it's just not true. And I bet there's countless examples that could be given of things that you could go to these other nations that are considered to be oppressive and do them and have no problems with them. And if you do them here, you go to jail for them. And the average person has no issue with I mean, don't get to extremes like, well, you know, pedophilia is legal over in some of these countries too. Well, first of all, I don't think it really is. I think it's kind of like people are bought off for or something, uh, but I, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't think the average person gives a damn. If I set up a business and part of it is, you want to have a couple beers while you're, you're here, I'll sell them you the, uh, my cooler. I don't think the average person cares. I don't think the average person has a problem with it. You go know, down to Mexico, go out on some of these beach excursions, that's what they do. They don't have liquor licenses. Get out of here. Alright? So, again, just don't believe this lie. And, and that, when you hear it, Ask yourself how much liberty we really have and how much liberty we've really lost. And ask yourself if you're satisfied with that. And ask yourself, even if this were the freest society in the world, if it's free enough. It doesn't really matter if somebody else is worse. All that matters is, are we free enough? And my answer to that question is no. Now you're going to love the next slide, Because you're going to hear this lie from the Democrats and the Republicans. You're going to hear it a lot in the next 60 to 70 days as we go up to the election. That lie is we need to spend more on national defense. Now, a lot of people that are kind of of a Democratic persuasion in this country are real... They don't want us in war. They think the Democratic Party is the anti-war party. I'm going to try to leave individual politics out of this as much as I can, but there's no better example of this than Barack Obama right now. People see Barack Obama as the -the end-the-war candidate. But Barack Obama doesn't want to end warfare. He doesn't want to end U.S.-driven warfare. He wants to end the war in Iraq. Because, and I think he says that because it's what people want to hear right now, he's for massive escalation of the war in Afghanistan. Now, now, I, I'm not going to say whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. It's your decision to make. My only point is, if you're in any war, with the exception of a defensive war, then you want your face out of everybody else's business. You don't want to be going out trying to impose our will on other parts of the country. Or or other parts of the world. Or you understand that we need to do that. You're you're not be pro-war, but you're willing to go to war in that capacity. You either are or you aren't. You can't be this lukewarm. Well, that's, that's a bad aggressive war, and this is a good aggressive war. I'm sorry. You either are or you aren't. Okay? Pick one, and that's that's all we need to do. But even with this, this kind of debate that, that these guys use, this again, this is a misdirection. This is watch my left hand while my right hand hides the quarter behind your ear. Okay? They all know to look like you're soft on defense is a death sentence. So they all talk about spending more money on defense. They All of them do it. If you think about it, everybody talks about spending more on defense and the needs of this nation for a strong defense. And we now spend $600 billion plus a year on national defense. And some of you guys that are real patriotic might be out there, like, we need to do that. No, we don't. And I'll tell you why we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that, because if you take every other country in the world's defense budget, and you add every other country in the world into one pot, and you put all their money into one pot, we outspend the rest of the world. You have to ask yourself why we're willing to do that what our motivation for doing that is. We don't need to spend more on defense. We're building, still building, multi-billion dollar nuclear submarines today to fight the war on terror. We need a nuclear submarine. And a Democrat, Joseph Lieberman, is, is behind a lot of pork money that went to his home state To build a couple more of these subs. Now these, I mean, what is the what is the need for these subs? We didn't have any. I might be like, okay, we might need a couple of these. They let us sneak around and see what's going on, and we have a bunch of them already. All right, we're overspending on defense because we are in danger of losing our empire because we've become a debtor nation. All right, but the, the the solution to the detonation nation problem is we'll stop spending so much money on defense. Right, we have plenty of stuff to defend ourselves with now. We have plenty of troops. We have plenty of people. And I'm not for slashing defense spending, you know, by ninety percent. But we sure as hell could slash it by fifty. We could have a stronger, lighter, better military. Okay that would have the primary objective of ensuring that the security of our borders and our coastlines, which is what our military should actually do. Our military should be in the business of making our nation a nation that cannot be invaded by military force or by illegal entry. That should be the job of our military. Instead, we have a military deployed all over the world. There is no nation in the history of the world that's had the type of deployments and bases impressed presence, even at the height of the British Empire. The British Empire was nothing compared to the modern American Empire, driven by a defense spending that is insane. And the problem with the fact that we spend so much money on defense isn't so much the weaponry and capability it gives us, okay? It's the power that it gives to the military-industrial complex. When you spend $600 billion anywhere, the people you spend that money with, they have a control over you that's unbelievable. That's why we're in a state now where our government has become a fascist government. Fascism does not always mean that Nazis are out putting people in concentration camps. Fascism is an economic system, okay? When you had fascism in Germany during World War II that was anti-Semitic and for a white pride and white power, alright, that went along with the economic system because it was a fascist government in Italy, but they didn't have the racism to go with it. The two are not bound together fascism is an economic system which looks like capitalism but where the government is in cohorts with the industry where the government dictates the industry what to build, where to build how to build it and lets the people doing the work make as much money as they want while they do it and it's kind of a protection money type of scenario the industry makes its marketing available to keep the government entities in power through the form of lobbyism. That's what we have today in our country. That is our fascist economic system today. We're not a capitalist society. We're not a socialist society. We are a a hybrid of capitalism and socialism built by an alliance between the biggest industries and the most powerful people in government. Folks, folks, hello! That is the very definition of fascism. Look it up. You'll see what I mean. Well, we're kind of from uh, going into the uh, military spending back to the economy here. So while we're at the economy, let's look at another lie. Kind of out of this governmental uh, world and back into just mainstream America every day. This lie is that it's normal for the cost of living and for prices in general to rise, to go up over time. So it's completely normal that it costs a lot more to drive to work, own a home, go to school... Uh, heat your house, cool your house, all the other things that we do every day, it's completely normal to, even to pay an employee to have to pay them more money for that number to always go up. And, and the reason that it's easy to sell that lie today is because it's what happens. And it's what's been happening for almost the entire last century. All right? And anybody that remembers when that didn't happen is dead now. Okay, Because anybody that was alive for more than a couple of years while we were on a gold standard with currency in this country, true, 100% backed by gold or silver, is dead. All right, There might be some people that kind of remember it, remember the end of it, right? but when you, if you talk about somebody that lived for 20 or 30 years as an adult in that type of an economy, they're all dead, just because no one lives to be 150 years old. So that lie has been reinforced by false manipulation of our currency. There's a couple ways to deflate this lie. Number one, back in 1935, the United States quarter, made out of 90% silver, bought about a gallon of gasoline. Today, the silver in that quarter will buy still, at today's prices, roughly a gallon of gasoline that's the most inflation driven commodity in our marketplace all right gas goes up so fast they took it out of the consumer price index right and went to core inflation because they said well well gas goes up and down so much i mean we can't we can't make that part of inflation and even though everybody needs it everybody buys it and it's a major expense for everybody we're not going to consider it part of right so we've already seen that the 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 very act of having a real currency so perfectly hedges against inflation, even with the runaway expense that we've experienced recently, that quarter still buys the same thing, simply because it's made out of something real instead of out of something fake. All right, that's number one. Number two is, if that's true, then how do you explain economy of scale? And what I mean by economy of scale is that when the VCR came out, right? When I was a little kid, we got first VCRs. They were like $500. And, and again, $500 didn't buy as much in 1976, right, as it buys today. So that was more of this fake currency than it was. But just leave it at 500 bucks. Today, everybody's into DVDs. But for a long time, I mean, even into the 90s, a good VCR was a couple hundred bucks. Right, but then as like production went way up, before there were even DVD players, you started seeing VCRs selling for thirty or forty bucks. DVD players started to get popular; they were selling for five, six hundred dollars a unit. Right, today you can go out and buy a simple DVD player uh, at Walmart for between twenty and thirty dollars, and if you're really smart, you probably get one right around nineteen bucks. That doesn't have a lot of features, but it's a DVD player. It does as much as the first ones that were $500 did. Why? Because when you go into mass production of something, the cost per unit to produce it declines. Well, just about everything that we buy fits that mold, even housing. We mass produce housing today. You know, we don't custom-build every home in America. We've been mass-producing housing for over a century. But yet the cost of housing keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Part of that is because of the underlying value of the land. But go look at construction costs alone. Just look at what, if you already owned the land, you had all your permits, you paid all the red tape off, and all you had to do was have a home built, three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, not taking, not taking material into account, just labor. Well, the labor rate's, you has know, gone up almost as much as the overall housing rate has in those uh, 35, 40 years. All right? Because that's the way our, our society works today. But that's not the hallmark of a well-run and well-ordered society. And I got this from a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I remember reading the one line when, when uh, Robert asked his rich dad, Well, isn't it normal for prices to go up? And he said, well, not in a well-run and well-ordered society. They should go down. That challenged everything that I knew about economics up to the point that I read that. It changed the way I think about money. That had more of an effect on me than all the other lessons in that book. Because it was the one thing that I was completely sure was true that turned out to be a lie. It is not normal for prices to rise. The reason our prices rise is because the value of our dollar goes down. It has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with general rules of economics other than if you keep producing more and more of something... It becomes worth less and less, alright? And that's what we've done with the dollar. Instead of having the dollar backed by something meaningful, by a commodity that was finite in nature, we've gone into a principle of we print as much as we need for circulation's demand. All right? with nothing intrinsically controlling the rate of accelerated production. That's made our dollar worth less and less. Again, it's like splitting a stock without issuing more shares to the people already holding it. It would be like you owning 1,000 shares of Exxon, Exxon hitting $150, Exxon splitting the stock in half. Doubling the total number of shares that are out there to bring the price down to $75 to spare investor interest, but to leave you sitting with 1,000 shares. Okay? You now went from having $150,000 to $75,000 overnight. Bam! Done! It's over! It happened! There's nothing you can do about it. That's what we're doing with our money. That's why prices continue to go up, 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 up. It has nothing to do with that being a normal, natural thing. It is a lie that has been fed to you so that this fake system, this world banking system, this Federal Reserve system could make a profit by printing worthless paper. That is what this entire economic system has become based on. Okay, I'm going to go into my last lie right now. I'm going to try to wrap this up because I know this podcast is getting out there to its full duration. Um, This last lie is that our politicians should be experienced politicians. We're seeing it right now in the attack that the McCain camp is using on Obama. Again, I'm not an Obama supporter. Far from it. And if I were in McCain's camp and I wanted to win the election, I would do the same thing because it'll probably work. And if anything's going to work, that's what's going to work. But the reality is that that our system was not designed for experienced politicians, career politicians, right? Politicians didn't make much money, for the first hundred years of America, okay? There was not a lot of lobbying going on by business, because business, frankly, didn't need to do a lot of lobbying. There was enough liberty that business wasn't trying to get ahead by utilizing the government to do so. Businesses just went out and did whatever they did and made a product and sold it and marketed it and distributed it. And if you wanted to start a business, you just went out and did it. No one had to get in your face, and you didn't have to go out and spend 20 years trying to prove that you deserve the opportunity to start a business and run it in the way that you see fit. Okay. You didn't have to prove that what you were going to do wasn't going to eliminate the habitat of the striped-tailed foofy flu. Uh, you didn't have to get a special permit to go in a specific type of industry that had a limit to entry. You could just go out and build a company. So there wasn't a lot of lobbying going on back then, so nobody was getting their uh, pockets filled with that. There was a little bit, but not the kind of things that we see today. And a salary wasn't that great. And you could make a heck of a lot more money in the private sector than you could in the public sector. So politicians originally, in the way the system was set up was, politicians went to the state capitol, or they went to the federal capitol, they did a couple terms, and they came back to their home district as a civilian, and then they had to freaking live with whatever they did in the real world with the people that sent them there to do the job. They didn't get a government pension, they didn't get to travel all over the world on the people's money, right? They had no choice but to live with whatever they did in the real world just like everybody else. If they made it tougher for business and they came out and tried to go into business, they didn't get a free pass, all right? They didn't have 20 different boards of directors offering them a position because they knew they still had political connections, right? They got dropped off on their home block and were told, go on Go back to your world. It used to be a service, not a job. When you went and you served in Congress, you indeed served in Congress. Back then, nobody got experience as a politician. You got experience with life. And then you took that experience and you applied it to the government of the nation that you served. In other words, your experience was being a homemaker. Alright? Being a man that provided for his family by plowing a field or swinging a hammer. you took that experience, and you went, and when you made a decision, it was, how will this affect people just like me? Where today, it's how can I get what I want? How can I serve my lobbyist? That's what we've gone into. Alright? We don't need politicians with experience. Now, if we want to police the entire world, if we want to constantly live at the edge of warfare with 90% of the, of, the, of the globe, if we want to continue to try and enact our will on other nations that aren't interested in having us do it, If we want to be the king of the world as a nation, rather than the shining light of the world as a nation, then we need experienced politicians to deal with all the crap that comes with that. But if we want a nation where people are free to do whatever the hell they want, as long as they're not hurting anybody else, and people are free to succeed or fail, that's their right. Is God-given, that's our God-given right as human beings to succeed or fail. If we want that, we don't need experienced politicians, all right? We don't need the politicians with experience like Barack Obama's, all right? State legislature, you know, Harvard law degree, all right, community activists. No, we don't need that. You know what we need? We need some guy in Kansas that plows a field all day long to go serve one or two terms as a senator. Okay? We need a guy from Texas that's actually climbed up on an oil rig as a roughnecker to go spend a couple terms as a congressman. All right? We need a guy from Detroit that made a living and put a roof over his kid's head, bolted fenders onto cars, making what used to be the best built, best back cars in the world. We need him. That's who we need. We need your neighbor, the guy across the street from you, that is out there pushing his own lawnmower instead of hiring some illegal alien to do it for him. That's who we need. The school teacher that actually teaches from her heart instead of from a curriculum that's rammed down her throat. We need her. We don't need her for her whole career. We need her to go back to the same school system she was in and live with the consequences of her decision. Folks, what I'm telling you here is quite simple. We need a government where the government itself, when it takes an action, eventually has to live with its consequence. We live with the consequences of their decisions, and they do whatever they like, and they frolic and play like a bunch of freaking kids on a playground in a fantasy land, devoid of the consequences for what they have done. When they raise taxes for the middle class that they call the wealthy, they don't raise their own taxes. When they say they want to give a raise to the minimum wage, they don't pay for it. You do, and the small business people of America pay for it. When they allow our Federal Reserve to print more money and inflate the supply... They don't live with that consequence because they'll figure out a way to take as much of that worthless money as they need to compensate for it by raising their own pay, by giving themselves bigger expense accounts because they don't pay for 90% of what they use anyway because they live off of us like parasites. That's what you get when you have experienced politicians. We need politicians that see what they do as a service. We need to pay them very little compared to what they can make in the private sector and we need to absolutely eliminate the ability of businesses to contribute vast sums of money to their war chests to keep them in office for long term. We don't just need term limits, we need service limits. We need to say after a certain amount of time in government, you got to go back to the private sector. Period. End of story. And I don't know if it's 10 years or 15 years, maybe 20, I don't know what it is. There there's to be some point in period of time where you can no longer be an elected official. I'm sorry, I don't care if we lose some good people that way. Because it will change everything that these clowns do if they have to go live with what they've done. So that's the final big lie of the day. Again, I know this podcast is a little different today than some of the other ones. It's okay, I'm going to go into some practical preparedness stuff tomorrow. And remember, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to convey to people that... You can't have survival mentality without individual liberty. You have to have freedom if you are to survive. That's one of the biggest things we're trying to survive right now is oppression. Oppression and restriction. Taking away our ability to survive and our ability to provide for ourselves. Defending the Second Amendment. Because if you take away my gun, I can't protect myself and I have to rely on you to protect me. These are the things that this show is really all about. We're sum it up, helping you figure out how to live a better life life if times get tough, or even if they don't. This has been Jack Spierko with the Survival Podcast. Please shoot tune in tomorrow for another episode. Makes you wonder where you wonder You can scream, you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent